Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. All right, welcome to the second edition of Round Ball Book Club. I am here. Round Book, Round Book Rock. Round Book Rock, which is also going to be our podcast about Devin Booker getting really fat. With me is... Sean, I cannot even begin to tell you how delighted I would be if I got fat. I want every, I mean, like, look, there's some specific athletes. I've really, I'm very disappointed that Dwight Howard went the other way. But it's it's kind of funny that he only had to be in Los Angeles for one year. And then he was already using, like, a sound bowl and, uh just like the most hippie crystals and candles everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. he was always like that, but to me, that's like the experience. A lot of, uh, I see a lot with, uh, people in the, in the arts. Look, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate too much about uh-huh. Dwight Howard before his terrible book comes out. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think maybe he might be a little bit impressionable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Oh, I should introduce you. This is, this is a book expert. Uh, Thank you. That's true. Podcaster. I've read at least a hundred of them. Um, TV, MSNBC correspondent. Thank you. That's so true. Um, Willamette Week regular, or as Joey says, Willamette Weekly, and yeah. uh, Daily Beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caterpillar Stats, the the Substack newsletter. Oh yeah. And I have uh, to the, write that this week. I don't know what I'm gonna write about yet. Um. And the Turtle Pond Hangout. What was the What was the last Caterpillar Steps about? I, mean, I think I read it. Was it about something uh, from the nineties? Uh, oh no, it was that um that that class song. Oh yeah, Lovers Rock. That oh. song sucked, man. I didn't. You you I I kind of didn't remember. And yeah. then I played. I I was like, oh, I'm not doing. It's so bad. Like. I don't yeah, know where bad. that came and from, and it's just like it's a real like it's like a TGIF sitcom guitar riff. Uh, yeah, and it look I you know 
I think that's maybe the second best rock album ever made. Uh-huh. I really do. But that's it's so bad. And you know what? I almost feel like they admit that it's bad because at the end they stop doing it and do something else. Uh-huh. <laughs> when they do the oh, love is rock. Oh, oh, oh. I, when I when that part starts, I'm like, ah, it's so. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, on, honestly, it doesn't. I mean, I hate the chorus and I don't like the lyrics, but that opening riff is it does it does yeah, it's horrible, it's horrible. Somebody else was like, "Nah, man." Somebody was telling me another song they thought was the worst song on that album. I was I was just like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And then I write a list of the be- like every Clash song ranked, and Coca Cola was below Lovers Rock, and I was like, "What the what is, what the fuck?" <laughs> There's no chance. There's no chance. No. Nothing's worse than that one. No. So can I? Like the worst thing you can yeah. say about Coca Cola is that it's a little like it's a little on the sleeve. But guess what? It's Clash song. Yeah. Fuck. It's, it's nineteen seventy. Nine? Seventy seven? I don't know what year that came out, but London London Calling came out in eighty and eight and seventy five. Okay. Good to good to know. I um okay, so we today are going to be talking about Jerry West. This uh-huh. is a subject we have brought up before. Mm-hmm. Um I've written about it for money. Mm-hmm. And we've mm-hmm. we've talked about it. It's also something that we like to, to tease you about yeah 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 like corbin why do you hate jerry like it's so stupid that you hate jerry and i've West. and i've always thought like you know he he had trouble beating the celtics but so what he was a good player he worked he worked hard and i'm kind of coming around to your feeling okay. that he's Here. honestly one of the biggest losers in the history of sports yeah okay i mean he he lost how many times did he lose in the finals nine times yeah and then he lost in the final in college twice. But we read, well, I read for the first okay. time. You've read right. it before. Right. West by West, my charming, tormented my charm, life. My charmed, comma, tormented life. So tormented. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, look. There was a time where I was like you, Sean Keen. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, yeah, Jerry West, you know, uh, couldn't get it done versus Russell, but great player. Yeah. You know? I know that I knew, you know, I had some inkling of the fact that perhaps he was a little neurotic. I wouldn't normally hold that against somebody. No, no. But and then one day, I went to the public library, fucking heard of it, bitch, and um, and I checked out West by West and I read it mm-hmm. cover to cover, as I recall. I might have not read the parts about the Grizzlies because who gives a fuck? Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time I was done, I was like, oh my god, this is. Though, this guy sucks. He sucks! He, it, it's weird because I had a very similar experience where I started reading this book with definitely a positive feeling, but definitely more, closer to neutral, but definitely not negative. And now he just seems like one of the most unpleasant people I've ever read about. Yeah, yeah. Look, and you know what, you know what the thing about it is? So we read George Carl's book mm-hmm. and talked about it. Yes, and, yes. And um it is like remarkable like the um the you know tractor trailer full of horseshit 
that that guy is carrying <laughs> with him in his life. He like like it's it's it, to read that book is to be is to have your breath taken away by the fucking like I'm I'm almost done watching Vice Principals by the just like pathetic pathetic male energy that comes out of George Carl the the victimhood coupled with bullying oh, yeah. that pervades the whole thing oh yeah and like the... and like these also just like wild delusions of grandeur. Mm-hmm. That and he just, carries around. Yeah, just these moments of George Carl's typical thing is to, you know, mention someone mistreating him or how, like, and then in the next paragraph, telling a story of that makes George Carl being like shitty to someone and then completely asshole. explaining what what yes. he's bad. And also, by. like, like I think the the thing in that book that has always stuck with me is when he's talking about Phil Jackson and he's like, yeah. Phil Jackson was always doing this uh, touchy-feely shit. Not me, buddy. And it's like, you know, maybe the fact that Phil Jackson, who will also show up in this conversation. Yes, yes. Um, maybe the fact that Phil Jackson, like, you know, worked on his ability to, like, relate to people and work with people. And maybe that was really helpful for him. You know, well, maybe that's the reason why he was so good at his job. Well, in George Carl, at least in the book, there is some awareness of, like... Yeah, I guess when I yelled at that guy, um, you know, you know, I, I, you know, he, he, he's mad at Don Nelson. He's mad at Phil Jackson, but you can tell he gets it and he's kind of, there's a little bit of sarcasm to yeah. some of it. You know and what you I know, mean? Like he's, you know what the other thing about it is, it's that, it's that society has decided that we do not need to celebrate George Carl. Yeah. And I think he's sort of gotten, anyway, yeah, the, but with Jerry West, it is, it, it, it's so weird reading this book because, first of all, it's extremely repetitive, some of the things in it. Um, the concept of the book is, I understand the concept, which is that Jerry West declares very early in the book that he wants to basically, like, investigate his life with investigative journalism. <laughs> but then sort of like no he does he does does he really say that in the beginning what, what's that does he really say that in the beginning oh yeah let me what let an me asshole talk. this is one of the most subjective books i've ever read in my entire life it's crazy well he I, I mean i would just say a big disparity is how jerry west is constantly talking about how he doesn't have any friends and he's like um doesn't like doesn't call people it doesn't tell people how he feels and then is constantly saying things like if Shaquille O'Neal and I had been in high school together, we would have been best friends. Yeah, come on. And you're like, I you would have been Shaq's best friend, or no, Shaq. Yeah, Shaq. Shaq, Shaq might have been his best friend. He yeah. would not have been Shaq's best friend. No. That that's true. No. Um, so let me find this. <sighs> there was something I read in it that I really want to take a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the book, Wes talks here and there about Joseph Campbell's. The Hero of a Thousand Faces. Yes, yes. That is one of two books that are uh, referenced quite a bit. And, you know, I don't I don't know why West leans on this device. I don't know if it was him. It, it feels very like the fucking ghostwriter or co-writer or whatever the fuck, you know, kind of tr- kind of trying to yank him into something, you know, yank him into an emotional structure to me. Mm-hmm. But could it be? The thing about it is that Jerry West is not the hero of this story. And he 
mentions other guys who were like definitely fucking heroes. Uh, he mentions Russell. He mentions Oscar Robertson. He mentions guys who faced walls of shit and plowed through it mm-hmm. because of, you know, like high ideals. Jerry West does not possess ideals. No, Jerry West's struggle is he had a mean dad. Oh, man, what a mean dad. His brother died in Korea, and he grew up poor in West Virginia. Yeah. Other than that, this is like you a know what? gilded I'll give, you know what? I'll give him this. I'll give him one extra thing. Okay. Also, he's a monumental neurotic, and Bill Russell beat him in the finals over and over. But guess what? Bill Russell was a hero. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, also, what's great about this is that uh, Bill Russell is obviously very pleased and uh, self-realized. Jerry West mentions how many times he loses to the Celtics and how there's like a hole inside him that he knows will never be filled. There's one point where he says, I don't go to Boston very much. No, he won't wear green. It's like, why would you go to Boston? Why would anybody go to Boston? (laughs) Who fucking cares? Um, and then he, uh, I guess he's, he's not working for the Lakers, but he, um, (laughs) there's, there's also many moments when he'll, Bill Russell and he and Bill Russell are friendly, um, because it's very easy for Bill Russell to be friendly because he also gets to do these events with Jerry West and then mention how much he beat Jerry West and then laugh in Jerry West's face. Like Bill Russell laughs in Jerry West's face like five or six times in this book. And Jerry West is like, yeah, it's the most recognizable sound in sports. Bill Russell laughing in your face. And And I'm thinking like, I don't really laugh. I don't want to, you know, he's right. But the, but the most recognizable sound in sorts, nah, man, it's just the most recognizable sound in your fucking nightmares. Exactly. That is exactly what it is. And it's so funny because there's, there are certain who know how to make crazy all the time. And Bill Russell has literally been doing it. It's so, the Lord's, the, the greatest winner of all time. Yeah. Acknowledged by, uh, Jerry West as well. Okay. So here's what Jerry West says he's doing. He, he, uh, the approach that I have taken is that is one that is built on deep reportage. It oh. represents nothing less than a full-scale oh. attempt to bring forth the truth to rely not just on my recollection of so deep that I could not be something more to talk ambitious. to my first wife. Or like Elgin Baylor. That's weird. He just tells, he talks about like nicknames that Elgin Baylor gave him and how he really hates um, Zeke from Cabin Creek as a nickname. Um, but there's not, like, an interview with him. He's mad that Kobe doesn't sit down, but Shaq doesn't sit down. Like, a lot of people don't sit down and yeah, talk. it's almost like that one. It's like the Lakers 80s go. Lakers sit down and talk. Um, okay, so he wants to, he says it's a, it's nothing less than a full-scale attempt to bring forth the truth, to rely not just on my recollection of things, but to do something more ambitious, investigate myself, speak with others, and come to grips with what I find. And then he says it's a memoir and it's selective, choosing to focus on the things that explore and illuminate the mindset. The um, mindset? The mindset. The Jerry West mindset. I'm, mm-hmm. do, I'm doing seminars where I teach the Jerry West mindset. Uh-huh. It's about how to fucking lose in the finals over and over. So very early in the book, he uh, he quotes the late Joan Didion, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. Which, 
I, you know, once again, obviously it's been a big moment for Diddy and lately, you know, if you actually read the white album, uh-huh. that's not a compliment. <laughs> It's not like, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, it, yeah. it might have a little bit of a bitter, you know, a little bit of a bitter sweetness to it. Maybe a little bit, but really it's like, it's, no, we it's tell not. ourselves stories in order to live. And now here's 50 pages about some assholes. Yeah. <laughs> we tell ourselves stories in order to live because life is so, uh, there's so many assholes. You have to, you have to have a healthy amount of self-deception to not just end it all. Um, okay, so here's here are two quotes to to lead this book. The epigraphs they were. Yeah. Carl Sandburg saying, "Nothing happens unless first a dream." Corbin, can I ask you a question about this quote in the book? I, I guess. Yeah. Does the book reflect that idea at all? No. <laughs> Doesn't really seem like. Well, I guess he does describe Jer- <laughs> a fake dream to close out the book. So maybe that's maybe that's right. Um. Okay, and then he quotes Jerry West. And here's Thank the quote God. he leads his book with. Thank God. I played with an angry, emotional chip on my shoulder and a hole in my heart. Yeah. My worst personal trait by far is that I expect everyone to care as oh. much as I do about oh, everything. What a terrible. What and a it is terrible both terrible and unfair. That's all. Like, that's such a passive aggressive thing to oh say. Oh my God. I can, oh, my problem is that I care too much. And I care too much about everything. And I want everyone to, like, that is, that is such a spoiled. <laughs> he played in the 60s. All right. And then he says, My life has been about trying to figure out my limitations, and I know them quite well. Once you find out what they are, it really gives you a chance to find your niche. And then he quotes Ryan West saying, my dad, he's weird, which, you, you know, know what? what, I'll get, you know, what? I'll give, I'll give Jerry West this. I did come away from this book thinking he was a fucking weirdo. Yeah, he's pretty weird. Let's see. Okay. So very early in the book, uh, we are on page five. He says, <laughs> I never learned, I never learned what love was and am still not entirely sure I know today. Mm-hmm. What cool. I do know is that I harbored murderous thoughts, and they, along with anger, sadness, and a weird sort of emptiness, are in part what drove and fueled and carried me a long way. Like, he's telling this story about himself. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I almost feel like that part of it, I don't mind. That he's telling a story about what a fucking lunatic he is. I mean, it's, 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 look, it's an interesting book. But I'm not, not going to say that. That's not the problem with this book. It's not that he reveals that he's a lunatic. It's that he reveals over and over that he's like a coward. Yes, yes. And he still wants pe- and also that he considers himself a Joseph Campbellian hero. Hero. Anyway, yeah. um, he's very early. He talks about legacies, and then he he says that the only legacies that true geniuses have are things that can be put on campus, a piece of paper, and a song and a speech. Then he just talks about how he saw Stevie Wonder and Kong as an absolute incredible genius. Someone who, somebody who is blind and does what he does? That's just amazing to me. Yeah, I can't believe the sucker thing Stevie Wonder. And then he starts comparing himself to Albert Einstein after mm-hmm. that and says, those guys are important, not basketball and, players. In fair, in, well, yeah. Uh, and then he talks about how much he admires Monet, Picasso, and Malcolm Gladwell. Um, okay, so he, this book, he kind of goes through his life. It is it is relatively chronological, and what he's doing is he's taking this guy, his co-writer, uh, Jonathan Coleman, with him to to visit these places in his life. And 
I want to actually jump ahead in the book, Corbin, because I I was like stunned by how weird this one section was. So he he makes a lot of trips. He goes back to West Virginia. He visits his his sisters. He's interviewing people, and at one point he tries to visit a dying Pete Newell. Mm-hmm. And, I forget who Pete Newell. Uh, Pete Newell is uh, he used to be the coach at Cal, which was mm-hmm. the team that beat Cal. Cal not traditionally much of a basketball power. They did defeat Jerry West's team by you're, one uh, point. You're a Cal alumnus, aren't you? I am a Cal alumnus. Oh, well, well. When I was there, they did win the national invitation. <laughs> the NIT. They Hell won yeah. the NIT. Whatever. That's better than. That's, hey, that used to be better than the NCAA tournament. No, I mean it's it's fine. It, you know what? I have to say, they feel like they have the kind of sports program that a school like Cal should have. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like not that good, not really that important. Like you can come and hang out in it. It's much weirder when there's like future professional basketball players on the team. And you're like, is that is that what we're doing here at Berkeley? Like, why do we? Sorry, uh, this is an this is a house of algorithmics. <laughs> yes. No, it just, it, just, it just feels like like this school full of nerds. Like the sports should be shitty. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like I I know who's surrounding me all all the time. I I would play basketball there. Um. So Pete Newell, he used to be the coach of Cal. He was the GM of the Lakers in I think the sixties or seventies. And then he, for many years, ran this uh, big man camp in the offseason where he, it was like for young big men and teaching them like pivot play and post play. It was actually sort of became a cliche, sort of like somebody adding 15 pounds of muscle that someone went to Pete Newell's big man camp. And or was like, huh, he's going to get much better at that big man camp. Tra- training with Elijah Wan. Yeah. And so he's like, he's like, a, I, would, I would say he's a comparable figure to John Wooden, except like more of a teacher and John John Wooden was kind of a cheater, Corbin. Mm-hmm. You know, like he'd bring his own refs and like John Wooden is a very like God clean he, hands he, he, guy. He, did like, God he had stuff. he had like a bag man who mm-hmm. paid people thousands of dollars. Like the the gulf between like his vaulty principles and like you you know he was Paying these guys, right? Okay. Um, so he goes to visit. He's a, dirty, he's a dirty little religious man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's, yeah. A, he's a big hypocrite. Um, yeah. I mean, he, no, did, he did let. Uh, Are we all hypocrites? He did let uh, Bill Walton smoke weed here, though. That's true. And then blamed it for them not winning the title. So he he goes to visit Pete Newell, and Pete Newell's dying, mm-hmm. and he calls it. Death. He, he's in a place called Rancho Santa Fe. I guess it's near San Diego, and he begins it with talking about how the drive takes about two hours for him to get to where Pete Newell is, and he wanted to leave at 8.15 sharp. Mm-hmm. And then, he doesn't even mention why he leaves late, but apparently he leaves, oh, he misses the exit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he's talking about how underappreciated John Stockton is, and then he thinks Rick Barry. Okay, let, let me read this quote, because it's going to... Alright, I know what you're talking about now. I told him that John Stockton was perhaps the most underappreciated player ever to play the game, and that as much as I admired Larry Bird as both a player and a competitor, I wasn't sure that Rick Barry hadn't been just... Can I, can I, t- can I tell... Give, you, give a message to you and uh, Jerry West? Crap. Rick Barry was not as great as Larry Bird. 
Yeah. Oh. Also, I just hung out in the car talking about all my favorite whites. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was so Ugh. distracted talking about how much I liked white basketball players oh, that I so missed much. an I exit. I love these whites. And then gets to Pete Newell's house, and Pete Newell has died 90 seconds early. It's like... I mean, I mean, what would you do if you found out Jerry West was coming to see you? <laughs> I, I gotta say, it made me think Jerry West is the angel of death. When they're like, he's he's gonna be here in a minute. Pete, you better die right now, or your or your final moments are gonna be talking to Jerry West. Yeah, he was. I people don't know this. He was actually gonna have lunch with Kobe later that day. <laughs> That's where the helicopter was going. Yeah, and then he. So then he spends many many pages. Talking about how creeped out he is by death, he can't believe that someone isn't immediately there to pick up Pete Newell's corpse. Like, Wait, he's with Jerry Pete West Newell's just... family, like his his son, his relatives, people who love him, and Jerry West just starts just spends a lot of time talking about how he can't believe they haven't gotten rid of the body. Uh, he keeps looking. Oh, he he also admits that he used to visit his Laker teammate Happy Hairston until I couldn't go any longer. Mm-hmm. And so brave. talks about so going brave. to the morgue with Mitch so Kupchak. Brave. What a brave guy! And and they want to watch. His family wants to watch this video tribute to Pete. And he says, "I watched the tribute, but I really couldn't concentrate on it. Earl and his wife offered me something to drink, but I didn't want anything. What I wanted was for someone to come and remove the body." I am a passionate watcher of every kind of crime show you can imagine, and this felt too much like a crime scene to me. It's just insane. He just keeps talking about a corpse being there and why, and he like he keeps going on. He's like, "There's a knock at the door, and it wasn't a it wasn't someone to take away the body. It was a relative. What was happening?" And then he takes a takes a break to talk about how much he loves Bobby Knight and how much he loves Japanese culture. And old people. Yeah, no. Uh, anyway, weird, the, 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 the part about him obsessing about the corpse really. Yeah, because he's obsessing about his own. Corpse. And then, right, he tells the guy like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go." And then Pete Newell's son, of course, making it all about Jerry West. Of course, he says, yeah. "Not really the inspirational visit you'd hope for." I'll tell you, I've had a lot of unbelievable things happen to me in my life, but this is the most unbelievable. Like what? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he killed Pete Newell. That that's, really, I that's gotta say, to know. That, that sentiment is really, I think, the center of the Jerry West thing throughout the entire book is him sort of um, passively observing a bunch of suffering uh-huh. and like uh, and uh, and uh, injustice and uh, anything else, and then immediately going, and how does this affect? Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are a bunch of moments where he, uh, okay, so he talks at one point about Kermit Washington. Yes, he does. He and I and he says, for those who don't know, uh, mm-hmm. Kermit Washington punched Rudy Tomjanovich in the face, mm-hmm. fucked him up real good. On yeah. Accident. And uh, Jerry West is like, nah, I probably should have spoken up for Kermit. So yeah, but you fucking didn't. Yeah, you were you were the you were the boss of the team. Yeah, like you were you were in charge. You should like you could have said, "Oh man, Kermit, you, you know." Whoops. And then he's always like, "And I've never told that person that either." Yeah, it's one of my regrets. <clears throat> um, uh, here, here's here's he's meeting with Jim Brown. This is on page fifty four. <laughs> okay. What Jim had to say startled and embarrassed me, and um, 
uh, touched me greatly. For as long as I can remember, Jim had been trying to solve the gang problems in California. When he and Bill Russell of the Celtics, they were close friends and coincidentally uh, had just had dinner the night before. I suspect this is not a coincidence. And that Bill Russell was like, make sure you say something to really fuck up Jerry. Uh, uh, we're uh, uh, still playing. While they were still playing, they spoke out about race and injustice and then were vilified in many respects for doing so. I always has sensed how difficult it was for Bill to play in a fiercely segregated city like Boston. I got to tell you, you, you don't need to try that hard to sense it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can read it in his fucking book where he calls Boston a flea market of racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or you could have, or you can, uh, to, or you can notch it up to the time when he got his number retired by the Celtics and insisted that there not be any fans there. Mm-hmm. Or you could talk about maybe any personal conversation he would have had with Bill Russell if he'd asked one single question about like, hey, how do you like Boston? Yeah. Jesus fucking. Cr- yeah, you. Uh, I really sensed it. Yeah, it was really fun. I just want to say, if you want to read a fucking tight athlete autobiography. Second win by Bell Russell rips ass. It's, it's, I think it's out of print right now and it's kind of old, but he wrote it with Taylor Branch who wrote, um, the sort of canonical history of the civil rights movement. And it is, it is punchy. It is catty. It is mean. It kicks ass. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, and, uh, okay. I'm not done. I always say oh, yeah, how yeah. hard it was for Bill to play in a fiercely segregated city like Boston, but I did not know his house was broken into. And that feces were smeared on his bed until Jim told me once again. I knew that. Uh, yeah, like, like case, you didn't read your friend's autobiography that came out a while ago. Yeah, 1974. Maybe even to prepare for your own book. Yeah, oh, who fucking knows? In any case, Jim brought up something I had practically forgotten. That I phoned him and offered him to help in any way I could, but I was not seeking recognition for doing so. And in fact, I made it very clear that I didn't want to receive any. This is not because I didn't want to be publicly tied to what Jim was doing. Oh, no, absolutely not. No. Uh, but because I feel the best and purest way to help is simply by giving. Be it your time or your money. Jim never took me off on my opera, and I, uh, and I uh, was disappointed he didn't. Jerry, it was very clear to me, Jim said that day, that you were sincere in wanting to help and not wanting anything from it. No instant gratification, da-da-da. Yeah, you would always say something that would set your shit apart and that made you, you know, you were a thinker, you were smart, contentious, and, uh, conscientious. Blah, blah, blah. Jerry, you were so fucking great. But also, uh, he didn't help. No, he didn't. He didn't fucking do anything. <laughs> this is a story about Jerry West saying he would have liked to support Black. A, yeah. a running theme. Would have been great. Yeah, a r- real running theme in the book. Is it, is it around this point he talks about Obama? Anyway. Um, he, He's not well. He he really admires uh, the Bush. Oh, family. he really admires Barack Obama. Even though the boys at the country club are giving me shit, he I would say he strongly implies that he uh, went to see prostitutes at one point very early. He says, "As I got a bit older, it was in Charleston, as a matter of fact, where I learned about women when I worked there for a few summers during college." Mm. Right. I don't know. I think Jerry. Seems like he's so shy and awkward. Well, that that is that is one running theme in this book. He is uh, Jerry I'm West, so serial shy. adulterer. I'm so shy. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't get into it, but it is it is very clear that that is what is going on throughout a lot of the book. And I and I, I okay, he talks about Obama at one point. You'll, you'll have to forgive me. I, can, I I could flip through to try to find it. Uh-huh. 
wrote it down specifically, and he's like, yeah, the boys of the country club are giving me shit for subordinating Obama. But I thought he was uh, really articulate, and uh, I thought that he would be a great leader who brought the country together. Another fucking loss for old Jerry West, I guess. <laughs> so he has he has this guy, and very early in the book, he says that one of his closest friends is this guy named Gary Colson. Mm-hmm. He does not give any other information about this guy. I had to look him up because he was he's like an old basketball coach, and mm-hmm. uh, he went with Jerry to Memphis, and his relationship with this guy seems so crazy because when Jerry West wants to say things to his family, he has his friend Gary do it for him. Cool. In fairness, you do that with Joey. I do do that with Joey. Joey's Joey's had to deliver a lot of a lot of disappointing news to my parents. Um, well, I was actually going the other way around on that one. Oh well. Um, uh, here is here is look. This is not going to be informative of anything, but I highlighted this portion of the book because it was crazy. So he talks about how um, he's very impatient. He eats really fast. He golfs really fast. Um, Get another thing he does really fast, ladies. Yeah. And then he says, I am good company and know how to crack wise and cut up as well as anyone. For some mm-hmm. strange, inexplicable reason, I will sometimes be the first one to playfully put on a wig or a mask or some other form of disguise. A sense of mystery has always Im- appealed to me. That is weird. Like, Like, how many situations are you in where you're like, you know what? When you're hanging out and uh, putting on disguises, I'm the guy who who leads that. That, yeah. that Like, what is he talking about here? I mean, it sounds like he's going to an eyes wide shut party. <laughs> is that what we're trying to get at? I mean, like, why is he in a disguise? Uh, I remember being at Ed McCulley's camp in Missouri. Ed McCulley, Ed played for the Celtics in 1961, and showing all this to a young man named Bill Bradley. Uh, he would later tell me a b- book about Bradley's time at Princeton, incorporated my vices. Yeah, another very good book, Bill Bradley's uh, Life on the Run. Yeah, that's really good. Um, uh, Bill was one of the best to play college basketball, and later he'd give us fits when he played for the Knicks, a, beat a, a, team, a team that beat us two of the three times we met them in the NBA Finals. I got to say, it's really funny that Russell left the league and then another team immediately started fucking whooping his ass. Uh, he was uh, also very different. Seemed a loner, and I respected his courage in refusing to make money off endorsements, opportunities he felt only became his way because he was white. I really respected his courage in doing that. I did not do that. Yeah. He um, he even talked about his extensive bathing suit modeling career, despite being yeah. deathly afraid of water. Yes, despite being deathly afraid of water, and also apparently the fact that, what the fuck, why does everybody want me to be a bathing suit model? Is there anything about me that sets me apart from my t- other teammates mm-hmm. that they're not getting these opportunities? I can't even fucking imagine what that would be. He never mentions what it might be! Right. It's actually fucking crazy! Just... <laughs> um, okay, if so... If I had forced to choose a different sport today, I would have chosen golf. Wow, really? No shit? Yeah, I've met old white people. So he, um... He gets a real beating... From his dad when he says he doesn't want to eat soup again. Mm-hmm. He says... His dad was Bill Simmons. Yeah. We ate the... 
We ate the same soup out of the soup same... Soup is the perfect food, son. I believe there should be a constitutional amendment against Shaquille O'Neal demanding a trade. Um, okay, so he says, We had the same suit out of the same pod for six days until I told my mother I simply couldn't do it any longer. Well, let me tell you, I took the most god-awful beating that day from my father, and it made me into a tough, nasty kid, and it turned me even more inward than I already was. I never forgave him for it. Still haven't. Which, you know what? I, yeah, no, look, yeah, I've never no, taken your dad a severe not have beating fucking from you. anyone, and it might make me mean, but also, I kind of feel like I would maybe be able to get over it in 60 years. I'm, a, You know, know what? I'm going to let him have this one. There's a lot of other problems I have with Jerry West. <laughs> it is. I mean, I do understand that he hates his dad, but I mean, maybe it did make him an asshole because he kind of seems like a big asshole. Um, We're not really unifying our themes here. Sorry, yeah, everybody. Sorry. But, uh, we're, look, we're just going through this, we're just going through this thing. <laughs> Page 71. In some ways, I also saw my call to adventure as a call to disappear. A prospect I've always found appealing, but have never done. I constantly work in public facing industries in High Leverage. Uh, when, <laughs> when David died, his brother, his brother died in Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I became withdrawn. I won't say antisocial, but anti a lot of things. I lived in the house, but I vanished. I continued uh, nothing. I contributed nothing verbally. I became deathly quiet. In that summer of 1951, I couldn't wait for school to start again so I could be home even less. I didn't sit around moping, but I did sit there thinking about how unfair it was that I would never see him again. Oh, yeah, for you. Really unfair. Uh, now, I might have just mocked a grieving brother, but we'll get to that. I do, uh, I, I do like that he uh, hates Douglas MacArthur for this mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. And uh, he says, I found that David Halberstam shared my low opinion of MacArthur, and I finally understood what an egomaniac MacArthur is. I will always love Harry Truman for finally throwing his sorry ass under the bus, which was long overdue. You know what? Yeah, fuck it's a MacArthur. point for Jerry. Yeah. Point for Jerry. No, it was, it was a work for sucked, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I saw the movie Saving Private Ryan, it really affected me. Band of Brothers, same thing. My brother-in-law fought in World War II and would often wake up in the middle of the night screaming, still caught up in the horrors of what he saw. I often think of when the first atomic bomb is dropped. I wonder if the pilots, once they landed safely, ever wondered how many people they had just killed. If once they got older, they wondered, oh, my God, why did I? Like, I was a... He, um, at one point he says that he believes that... I read that part, and I think I thought that I was going to dunk on Jerry West for it, but actually... I mean, I guess. I mean, I guess that we should all spend more time considering the horrors of war. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's not the worst thing I've ever heard. Well, he does talk about how so it really affected him. Look, it sucked that his brother died in Korea or had to go to Korea. Then anyone had to go to the Korean War in the first. You know what place. I think the thing about it is weird is it's that he it's that he appropriates David's suffering really aggressively. And like talks and, yes. and like talks about how it really affected him. Mm-hmm. And although I'm sure that I look, your family member dying in a war is sucks. Yeah, sucks. You know, it's an understatement. But like, I, that wasn't your suffering, Jerry. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yes. And like, I feel like that's sort of a theme throughout the book, especially in the civil rights stuff, is like. Is like him not understanding, is him not having a grasp on other people's suffering. Yes, yes. The the only way he can understand it is through how it made him feel. Yes, yes. Well, 
just following up on the Korea thing, at the end of the book, he goes to Korea to get some closure about David's death, his brother mm-hmm. David's death. And uh, he finds the guy who killed him and he puts an end to him. Um, but but Jerry West remains um, a weird um, kind of McCarthyite in his political beliefs. He says, he writes, experiencing what I had had in Korea made me feel that David's death, in certain respects, had not been in vain. Because the South Korean people, 60 years later, are still so grateful for our help during that conflict and for the freedom and democracy that they now tenuously enjoy. I find myself feeling free, too. Free, for the most part, of the pain and anguish that the death caused our Mm -hmm. And then he uh, doesn't really change. Does he... He makes some other comment about communism, which is so weird. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He says he talks about being in the Olympics Mm -hmm. and um, how he and Oscar Robertson both have chips on their shoulder. Um, And his was... Oscar Robertson's was that uh, everyone was really racist towards his excellent yeah. high school basketball team. Yeah, yeah. Ro- Oscar Robertson's was the um, unstoppable uh, wave of racism pressing down on his neck. And then and Jerry his West was, was his was fueled by anger toward a father who found fault with me at every yeah, turn. Fuck off! Fuck off! And then he says, "When our team played in the Olympics, I was determined we were not going to lose to the Russians. There was no way." No way I would not display my own personal rage towards communism in a productive way. Whoa, that's so weird. He also in fairness, says, it is the only frame that he experiences life through. You know what I mean? It's crazy. It's uh, he 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 denies a rumor that the CIA tried to recruit him as a star. He says, "I am extremely patriotic, which does not change my hatred of war." But espionage is something I only enjoy. You know, maybe you about. should think a little bit about your patriotism yeah, with yeah. regards to the states if you really hate war. But it whatever. also does not. He just says he's patriotic. He never actually, and he talks about how much he treasures his Team USA uniform and gold medal from the 1960 mm-hmm. Olympics. But he doesn't. He doesn't really explain why he's patriotic. He just sort of says he's really patriotic. I don't know. I mean, he's not. He's, that doesn't seem like something you would think very hard about. Um, by the way, in in terms of how Bill Simmons might, he quotes Tex Winter, Coach Tex Winter, uh, Phil mm-hmm. Jackson's assistant, probably didn't really care about uh, there were a small <laughs> Hard to imagine. Tex Winter says, there was a small number of players who fit in the category of alpha males. Okay. Uh-huh. Players who had that little something extra in terms of drive when they went out on the floor to compete. And Tex Winter says that's Oscar, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Kobe Bryant, and me. Tex Winter? That's what... Uh, oh, wait, he meant Jerry West, I guess. Oh, okay. Jerry West, the ultimate alpha. I, once it, Kobe is a... Kobe is a very powerful act of Jerry West. Oh. Once, but. Um, okay, so this is... This is kind of... Okay, a little bit of megalomania for Jerry West. This oh, yeah. Thing, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he's... Again, many of the things he's talking about are how difficult his life was, and then constantly talking about how many restaurants he goes to he talks about how he doesn't have any friends and then he hangs out with harry all Boss these all famous the people um <sighs> how much he loves clothes and just like wears a new suit every day all right hey, you remember me- when uh remember when buzz bissinger got really into bespoke uh fashion <laughs> i don't but Oh man, I've been thinking about that again lately. You should you should look into it. Okay, he wrote an article for GQ where he's like, "I'm addicted to Gucci." Oh, I remember that. Yes, yes, I do. 
And like, it was crazy to just be like, you have all this stuff? Like, yeah. Like, yeah there's seven Gucci leather jackets. Anything else? It just seemed like, when did that happen? <laughs> very strange. Very strange. I mean, he probably had more money because of the Friday Night Lights stuff. Yeah. In the 1960s, we lost to the Boston Celtics six times in the finals. Six times! Could have been six different teams we lost to. Uh, perhaps the pain of eight times. He lost in the finals eight times. Perhaps the pain of those losses would have been diluted. The same team over and over, you felt as if you were being taunted. Like when you are a kid and someone says something about how you are too skinny or too fat or your buck teeth or your big ears. But when if you were a kid, it would usually be one to one. Here it was 10 on 10 and you had to try to take it like a man. Those losses scarred me. Scars that remain better to my psyche to this day. You would have to be able to see the tissue underneath those scars to really know and fully understand what I'm talking about. The thing about scar tissue is that it keeps building and pretty soon it's awfully sizable. I realize I sound like a permanent victim when I say this. Oh yeah, no shit. <laughs> uh, and I realize that I have had many more victories in my life than losses. Oh yeah, no shit. <laughs> and that many people still have a little sympathy for me. Well, I can't think of it as less sympathy for you, given the life that I have lived. But I'm saying all this because it is true, and it haunts me still. After the sixth and final defeat in 1969, the the funniest one, by the way, Don Nelson. Oh, that's the, easily the funniest. And there's and there's uh the Lakers owner Jack Kent Cook uh, rigs a bunch of celebratory balloons. Oh yeah. And he hangs oh, out we're, the floor, oh we're gonna get to Jerry the West is so mad about those balloons. We're gonna get to the balloons after the sixth and final defeat in 1965. If I wanted to quit basketball in the worst way, I mean I didn't do it because they paid me a lot of money. But I actually played for seven more years. Yeah, I played for like a really long time after that, and then immediately had a career in front offices for an incredibly long time. Uh, which continues to this day. Yeah. There's a picture of me walking off the court at the forum, shoulder slumped and alone after game seven, the game that we lost by two points, the game in which the Celtics Don Nelson. Oh, 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 oh. The big dog. The greatest I'm American talking. in history. We're talking, we're talking about an, we're talking about an acceptable white, uh, hit a crazy shot near the end. And all those God awful balloons that Jack Kent cut at cook and arrogantly ordered. Were to be put up in the Raptors and released when, not if we won, stayed right where they were and never should have been in the first place. The game turned out to be Bill Russell's last end with Wilt mysteriously on the bench. Yeah, you probably could have found out about that. Uh, it is a picture of defeat that some think rivals the one of Giants quarterback Y.I. Tittle on his knees with blood pouring out of his. You know, I got to say, I think the bloody head guy is probably a little more powerful than whatever you were doing. Yeah. Uh, I scored 42 points, 13 rebounds, and had 12 assists in that game, and I was struggling with a hamstring. Okay, he, you know what? Let's just say something about Jerry West. He does some injury cope in this book. There's about 12 pages of listing yeah. every injury, but he doesn't remember them. It's just on whatever injury log he can find. Yeah. Uh, extremely strained uh, that Frank DeFord expressed the view in Sports Illustrated that I was essentially playing on one leg. So when you think about it, uh, if our coach blah, 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 had only taken me out of game five when I first incurred the injury and we were 15 points ahead, I might have been even more effective. I was rewarded, if you can call it that, with the MVP award for the finals, the only time a player from the losing team has ever received it. Yeah, also <laughs> the first time they ever gave out the award. That's and true. immediately yeah. realized their huge mistake. Yeah, maybe uh, it should have given it to Don Nelson. Uh, when I went to New York not long after to accept my booby prize – what? My booby prize? Mm -hmm. 
uh, a brand new souped up Darge Charter, Charter green, no less. It was probably intended for a Celtic. Uh, I felt like putting a stick of dynamite in it and blowing it right up right there in Manhattan. I did not do that. I am a coward. Uh, I've never admitted before, but this seems as good a time as any to uh, show my ingratitude. Uh, criticize me if you must, but that's how I felt. As a team, we lit down the fans of the city of Los Angeles, just as my college team in West Virginia had 10 years earlier. Somehow I was sure the stars were aligned against us. Oh, my God. Everybody was trying to give me compliments. It was horrible. (laughs) Speaking of him being a coward, here's what he said about... He even admits, like, uh, oh, I've also lived a life full of profound victory, so people might not uh, care. Mm-hmm. But like, just got to take the next step, buddy. Just take the next step. Well, and then and then that's the same summer. I believe it's not. Oh God. Oh yeah. No, it's the same summer. Something else happened. Yes. During that summer of 1969. Oh. Mm-hmm. So he's. So here's what's he, happening. No, no. no. We'll read, we should read the passage first, right? Okay. But Keem, this is the best thing in the book, right? It's absolutely the best thing in the book. Okay. It is, it is the well, best so, thing in the book, and also I'm I had I had heard this story before, but um I want to talk about the context afterwards. All something its else own, during it's that summer. already incredible. Something else happened during that summer of 1969. Something strange. I'm almost certain I was being followed while I drove around aimless and sullen in my white Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> It was not unusual for kids to follow me home after my game, but my instincts told me this was so that's weird. something different. Not long after that, the Manson family. Charles Manson, ironically, spent much of his childhood in West Virginia. <laughs> name, another name drop from J-Dub. Also, like, ironic. Uh, okay, we'll get to that part later. Uh, murdered Sharon Tate, wife of Roman Polanski. Also, actress in her own account, you fucking dickhead. Uh, and others, a gruesome story that gripped the country that summer and was later recounted in Vincent Bulgozzi's CIA cover-up nonfiction book, Helter Skelter. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he doesn't say the CIA part. Yeah, yeah, but um, I, yeah. I read the book and imagine my reaction when I found the following sentence on page 357. Observing a white sports car ahead of them, Manson told Linda, at the next right pull up beside, I'm going to kill the driver. I've often wondered if that could have been me. Yes, we're the Manson looking to kill Jerry West. Jerry West. Um, here's now. This is a crazy thing to have in the book. Yeah. Uh, Can we call it what it is, real quick? Mm-hmm. It's Sharon Tate Valor theft. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. He's like, yes, I didn't get murdered while I was. But what if I had? Can you imagine that? God damn. Fuck. I think about that all the time. About how there's a vague about how there's a vague possibility that I was being followed, even though I was followed all the time. Uh huh. Well, and also a white sports car in Los Angeles. Wow, that could only have been Jerry West. That only could have been Jerry West. And here's here's the context that I had not had before. I had I had read that quote. I had known Uh that story, and it was really crazy. It's not even a story. No, it's it's a, it's a fantasy. It's yeah, it's him being like, "Damn, what if Charles Manson murdered me? Fuck." Um, you know what the, okay, I, before we get to, yeah. to the to the second part of this context, mm-hmm. he also says, ironically, 
Manson grew up in West Virginia. There's no irony here. You're not connected to Charles Manson, dude. The irony is something that I imagined is also similar to uh, something I also didn't have any... uh... Yes, because Charles Manson didn't fucking try to kill you. He didn't even do it in the book! (laughs) He's not even there at the... Anyway, what was the extra context? Uh, The extra context is that at this point, Jerry West is aggressively cheating on his wife. Mm-hmm. He is driving around L.A. Oh, he is so having a lot of affairs. Oh, so a private investigator. That is why he thinks he's being followed. Even if he is being fo- he might be getting followed by a private investigator. My theory is that Jerry West felt really guilty because he was cheating on his wife, who was trying to get him to go to marriage counseling, and Jerry was already out the door and, like, didn't explain was why. Was this in the book? Was this in the book, or...? Event, he gets later in the, well, he talks about the marriage counseling right before this part. Uh-huh. He's like, my wife wanted me to go to marriage counseling. Um, he says, the first time we went to marriage counseling, we were on a, we were told we were on a collision course with a brick wall. The second time that we had hit it. If I had only had the courage to say to her, hey, this is not going to work. You don't need this very flawed person in your life. You don't. I don't want to embarrass anyone, but the way things are going, so I might flawed. embarrass I'm you. so flawed. And then I'm he so says, Bill this was all happening. The finals. This was so all flawed. happening around the time the world was changing between men and women. There was the pill and free love and all that. It was the age of Aquarius and Florence LaRue one of the singers from the Fifth Dimension, the group that recorded Aquarius slash Let the Sunshine In, later became a neighbor of mine, Civic Palisades. Mm-hmm. A small neighbor. world. Again, not a small world. Someone you had no connection to, you just quoted a song to justify your adultery, and then she, and then one person related to it was your neighbor. Sort of. Yeah. I can uh, only what the imagine. irony was... So anyway, I can only imagine how your neighbor might have related to it. So anyway. Jerry West has left his wife, but he hasn't told her he left his wife. By the way, he he is, like, still living with his uh, first wife when he meets the woman that he's still married to now. Mm-hmm. This is going on for a while. This is, like, five years of Jerry West, at least, just going around. But that's why he thought he was being followed, because he felt guilty, and there might have been a private investigator, or there might not have, or whatever, but he was worried because he knew he was doing something wrong. It's so crazy. And he's like, that, that was the Manson family. Not my own guilt. And in There's this no book, where I'm going to be investigating, I'm going to be an investigative journalist about my own life and my mindset. Oh, can we tell, I, I don't know if I properly marked the part where his wife talks at their son's Oh, that part's amazing. I I can't. Uh, let me let me pull it up because I marked it. Oh, thank God. It's it's pretty incredible. A bunga bunga. <laughs> you think Jerry West has ever been in a bunga bunga room? Yeah, I think he's been a lot of crazy places. Yeah, probably. He should have just written like a sex memoir. I mean, that would have been great. Okay, yeah. so here here it is. Here's the section. He talks about how he doesn't think the divorce needed to be as ugly as it became. Yeah, and that um, had nothing to do with me. Um, now, look, before we It's get also into, very I weird that is that he's like... who go, follows go ahead, my writing or knows me knows that I have a lot of very intense opinions about divorced men. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, uh, yeah, let's get on with it. Okay, so he's... 
he's getting divorced, and he says that she really liked being Mrs. Jerry West. She even wrote a book published in 1970 called A Wife's Guide to Pro Basketball. He's already admitted that he was relentlessly cheating on her uh, mm-hmm. years before this happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said he he did not want his ex-wife <laughs> to be approached about this book. But uh, mm-hmm. his his current wife and the author said it would be wrong not to. They'd been married for quite a long time. They had three sons, and there are two sides to every story, especially when it comes to divorce. And the reason he didn't want to do it was something that happened the night before his son Mark's marriage in the mid-90s, 20 years before he did this book. We were all sitting at a table for the rehearsal dinner, and Jane, who had had a few drinks, informed everyone I had left her high and dry financially, parentheses, which was completely untrue, and that Mark's future father-in-law was much more of a father to Mark than I had ever been. Jane's comment made me so furious I considered not going to the wedding, and I was determined never to speak to her again, and I pretty much haven't. Hmm. Um, and huh. he says, I know of many people who go through a divorce and eventually find a way to form, forge a friendship of sorts, especially if they have children, in which they do primarily for the children. In my case, I simply lack the capacity and desire to do so. And that would be true even if Jane had not made that comment which I have never forgiven her for or forgotten. I accept the entire blame for our marriage not working out. I know that makes me seem or sound like some kind of martyr, and some might say that's easier to say something like that than face the real reasons, or that I am smart enough to know it takes two people to cause the end of a marriage, but I honestly did not know what it took to make our relationship work, and maybe I didn't want to know. Yeah, that is some divorced guy energy. Like, Well, I, I never told her what I didn't like, about our relationship and uh i clearly harassed her through this lengthy divorce process where she was unhappy that i was trying to shore her money mm-hmm. which i deny uh, like there's no reason for a divorce to take that long jerry west lawyer is hassling you know what i mean yeah so i'm anyway, gonna assume her lawyer wasn't but that and like he just he just he ghosts this marriage it's crazy yeah and but and he gets to the part but she's like, you know, this guy was a better father to Jerry's son than Jerry ever uh-huh. was. And he is just like, no, no, there's no way that could have been true. Come and then on. throughout the entire book, he talks about how he's like completely hands off yeah. in terms of raising these kids. And he's yeah, gone all the time. He's a fucking workaholic maniac. Driving around which, all the time trying to bang clear. a member of the Manson family. I don't like mind that Jerry West is a workaholic maniac necessarily, yeah. but you know, I don't you, you know? You can't be surprised that there was a cause for yeah. for you saying like, well, I I can never tell anyone how I feel. Uh, I'm a workaholic, mm-hmm. and I was on the road a lot. And uh, oh, daddy needed to daddy needed to get it dipped. You know, it's come on. It's. I also think that's actually okay, but in a book like this, it is so weird to to reach that. He's like so close when he's like, "Yeah, I I take the full blame. I understand that makes me seem like a martyr." Yeah, that's and the he's thing. like, he "But just that's just how I say, am." That's the thing. He just needed to say, "I take full blame for our marriage ended." He didn't need to do the second part where he's like, "And I know that everybody probably thinks that makes me seem like a a good guy, like a martyr." Well, and also, also, he just, like, he's just so mad about this one comment, and she's like, it seems like his ex-wife is mad at him for... All the fucking shitty stuff he did? Yeah, and, like, cheating on her and being, like, really emotionally unavailable, and he's mad that she, uh, she called him out once 
25 years after her marriage ended. While she was fucking, while she was blitzed. Yeah. Yep. Jerry West, baby. I look back and I remember the 1964 All-Star Game in Boston, the first one ever televised. It had been snowing heavily all day. Oh, I wasn't certain if everybody was there to play was going to make it to the time. There was another problem, too. Uh, the players led by Tom Heinsohn of the Celtics. Apparently, I have to be nice to Tom Heinsohn now. Fucking uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, head of the NBA. R.I.P. R.I.P. Tommy. Yeah, you know. Tommy, Tommy, I, I got no problem with Tommy Hines. Is that pee, piece or piss? It goes back and forth. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Truly not, what man ever truly rests wholly in peace or in piss, you know? Uh, Tom Heights, the head of the Players Association, had decided they would boycott the game unless all the team's owner came up with an acceptable pension plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also one of their own tra- trainers to travel with the teams, and they wanted uh, the league to agree that no team have to play a Sunday afternoon game if they play the night before. Wow. Honestly, a stunningly successful labor action, buddy. Yeah. Uh, I have never been more nervous or scared in my life. Are you fucking kidding me? That's it? That? That's as nervous and scared as you've been in your life? Oh, like- and he, he is voting against this boycott. Oh, yeah. 100%. Twice, at least. Oh, yeah. It's 11-9 against, it's 11-9 against first, then it's 11-9-4, and then finally Elgin Baylor's like, what are you doing? Why are you mad that that you think this owner's going to be mad at you? Like, we're we're Elgin Baylor and Jerry West. This was my lively, this was my livelihood. (laughs) Oh my god, and Bob Short, our absentee owner. Jerry Jerry West, like, clearly the, the best paid and... There couldn't have been anyone doing more endorsements in the sixties. No, no, I, no chance. Yeah, I can think of a reason why, but you know we'll <laughs> get into that later. <laughs> uh, he'd stayed in Minneapolis when the team of the Los Angeles somehow got a security guard in the trainer's room and was shouting through the wall that if Elgin and I didn't play, he would personally make sure we never played again. I was so scared. I was so scared of a fucking like, like, dude, like have some fucking presence of mind. Uh. Uh, a rich man was mad at me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was my fourth season and I was coming into my own and I didn't know what to do. Uh, but Elgin, who was stronger than I in this regard, reassured in me, every regard. Yeah, and literally mm-hmm. every regard, assured me that he needed us more than we needed him. And it's important we make a stand not only for ourselves, but for the players who came after us. Jerry West, I mean, it never occurred to Jerry West that anybody would play in the NBA after him. So Right. Uh uh, we got our insurances that, and it works. They got the pension plan. Fuck. By the way, he um, going I'm back so to Joseph. Scared Kent. of a rich man, Ugh. and so unsupportive of black people, despite his constant reassurance of all his black. Oh, friends I love black people. I voted for Obama. Can I tell you some shit I learned when I did some reporting on his? <clears throat> okay. He loved Obama so much, he voted for him. He would tell everybody at the fucking country club he liked him. And now he loves Donald Trump. I just want to say, well, we'll get to we'll get to that later. I think that's indicative of something else. Okay. But uh, he, by the way, when he's when he's talking about Joseph Campbell, he 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 says that he did not have the ordinary world of a of a hero, which is suffering, boredom, and neurotic anguish. Uh, he said he he had suffering and anger. Yeah, who would have thought Jerry West had neurotic anguish? But he um. Oh, he never he never gave money to Obama. <laughs> he never, says like, he's not neurotic though. It, well, he's because he he's money. not Woody Allen. But he, <laughs> yeah, I'm not neurotic because I'm not uh, Jewish. But he, um, 
He didn't give money to Obama. He did give money to George Bush. Mm -hmm. He gave $2,000, which is the maximum allowable donation. (laughs) Uh, Uh, By the the way... uh, But no, he he loves Obama. He loves him. Can I tell you one more thing about Jerry West's call to adventure that I had forgotten that I had taken a note on? So he he thinks that, uh, you know, the, the call to adventure... He thinks he thinks it's a call to action, and he says the place for me could have been in Africa, living among the animals and experiencing their incredible will to survive. I used to think about going to Africa all the time when I was a little boy because of my fascination with animals. How do you think Jerry West would have done uh, in Africa? Yeah, probably not very good. Not great. No. I'm reading a book about. I'm reading Henderson the Rain King right now. That happens mm-hmm. in there. I don't have anything else to say about that. I've never read a Saul Bellow book before you. Oh, yeah. I read uh, Herzog's movie. This has been Literature Talk here on Edge. This is Round Ball Book Club. Yeah. This, this is perfect. If Elgin was the player I studied when I came into the league, Oscar was the player, honestly, that I tried to emulate you. Did not do a very fucking good job. Uh, he felt that the press always favored me, the implication being too much so. In his book, The Big O, I, it, that didn't actually. That wasn't actually. It just. He was just writing about orgasms. <laughs> that. He said. That's what the the original triple double. He said America looked at Jerry fondly, but he also wrote that I was the best clutch shooter he had ever seen, and quite a bomb Ryan of Boston Globe saying that Oscar had developed more different skills than any player, in it, whereas I perhaps had more desire. It must be left to determine all this, but I do know that Oscar was never a rookie, not even close. I don't know what the fuck that means. I also think that halfway through our careers, I caught up with him and blah, 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 blah. But, like, he doesn't address the really cogent, truthful thing that El- that Ozzy Robertson says, which is that, like, America did like Jerry West. And there was a verse, was a reason. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he just, like, doesn't fucking... Like, every white player who came after Jerry West owes him a debt in... In in learning how to um uh, uh let's say uh flatter the sympathies of a certain kind of middle class person. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Jerry West himself um isn't that kind of Kurt Rambis in a way? He's not the golden boy type like Jerry West is, but yeah, he's a, he's real blue collar. I mean, it's Bird. You're describing Bird. I mean, Bird was less of a dickhead about it. Yeah, Larry Bird was. Uh, Larry Bird is a self realized. person. Who also yeah. had a dick for a dad and was kind of like, well, that's fine. Yeah, like when, tell, like, when Bird, still... like when Bird won a title, he was like, he would like talk to the reporter and he would just be like, look, you know, I'm not shit compared to Bill Russell. Like, he wouldn't, you know, anyway. Can I, here's a weird thing so, about man, this There's book. like a billion examples of this and they're all like scattered around. So sorry, we'll land on them when we land on yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, this is, this is going to be a recurring thing. Um, something that's, that is constantly coming up on this book is him alluding to things that are interesting and then not following through. Um, he, he will constantly talk about how, like, he has a moment with someone and he's like, I will keep that conversation myself. And it's like, why do you fucking bring it up? You're writing the book. He tells a story that in, in its place does not make sense and is like something that should be interesting. He again says he, he jokes and plays pranks and engages in hijinks as well as anyone. Um, oh, yeah, for with, sure. He says, Willie and I, this is his friend, Willie Akers in college, Willie and I were were involved in a, quote, food incident 
once at the university dining facility that caused us to flee across state lines to Pennsylvania to the home of a classmate's parents. We were laughing all the way there, but we were also scared. We didn't return until uh, someone assured us there would be no lingering repercussions. I was like, tell us what it, what happened. A food incident. A food incident. He makes it sound creepy. He put po- he put po- he po- he poisoned. He a bunch poisoned of- somebody, and yeah, they had to, uh, to wait till the the heat went down. Yeah. Well, in fairness, West Virginia has done Grand Theft Auto style justice for quite a while. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he he then says that his friend Willie, if he hadn't gotten married, he was going to bring his ass with me to Los Angeles. I never told him that, but that was my plan. He was going to be my buddy for life. But you didn't tell him. Honestly, man, probably a lot of people probably wouldn't better up been fucking better off. <laughs> uh, I played it so many games I should not have been playing. I would get shot up like a horse and go out there doing what I love to do, what I did best competing. In game seven of the nineteen seventy finals against the net oh, I know I'm reading this now. I fucking hate Jerry West, man. <laughs> <laughs> Game seven of the 1970 finals against the Knicks. The game in which Willis Reed, I have to take the note out to see what he wrote. Famously limped, famously, not heroically, okay. Famously limped onto the court at Madison Square Garden and gave his team an emotional lift. My oh, hands this were, is, oh, this one. My hands were badly injured, but I knew I had to play. Dr. Robert Curlin, I gotta say that Dr. Robert Curlin is an out of control. 1970 sports doctor yeah, that's, name. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. That that man had every kind of horse steroid, Dr. Robert Curlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, did what he had to do. Injected my leg, my left and right thumbs uh, before the game at halftime. And with a lot less fanfare than Willis, I went out there. Dr. Curlin told me I was the craziest competitor he'd ever come across. I didn't have one of my better games, to be sure. Uh, but I didn't need uh, Wilt complaining that Walt Frazier had kicked my ass. He did. Walt Frazier got like 37 points in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Like what? Like whooped Jerry West like a fucking, uh, I don't know, what's something you whoop? Yeah. A rabid a dog. A rented mule. A rented mule. Uh, these days, players have a little tweak or this and that, and they may sit out for five games. Give me a break. That's right, bitch. Jerry West ad- – Stealing Sharon Tate Valor wasn't enough. (laughs) He had to dig in and steal Willis Reed Valor. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had to be like, hey, Willis Reed played on a fucking broken leg. Yes. (laughs) But Jerry's hands were sore, and a guy said he's never seen anyone play with so sore. The other thing about this book is that people are always complimenting this motherfucker. Uh Uh-huh. That's all. He he gets he he brings up no less than five times in this book the sixty three foot shot that he made at the buzzer in the in the sixty nine finals and then he always says oh yeah I'll give you the this is the section from page two twenty four which I think is the fifth mention a year mm. after the sixty nine finals I made that sixty three foot shot against the Knicks that I that as I have mentioned only tied game. Game three of the finals, a game we then lost in overtime. Mm-hmm. Had the three point shot been in existence, maybe we could have won and gone to win the championship. But things yeah. are as they are. Yeah, it was. <coughs> Look, that is an amazing way. That was that was uh five years before the ABA existed, right? Um, no, the ABA exists at that point. Oh, you're right. It's so there is a three point shot. But also, um, I know it's a very but that shit is lucky. 
That's a lucky shot. He's is that so what proud of it, but it's to like humble brag and then talk about like, well, if the three point shot had just been available for this one play, yeah, if the rules of basketball had been completely different, maybe, maybe I would have won more than one. Oh, but also, uh, Richard Nixon sent him a telegram in 1971. He's really proud of that. And Reagan you know sent now a it's, letter. Now it's time to talk about the real king. Motherfucking Richard Nixon, baby. <laughs> Ooh, he's he's maybe less happy than Jerry West. <laughs> you know what? He is. I I can't I can't deny it. I've been watching Vice Principals. Mm-hmm. I'm not done yet. I've I've one episode left. Yeah, it's only two seasons, so you can kind of punch it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, have one I think season two is better. Oh, it's significantly better. But, um, and they, it's like too it's too intentionally shocking in the first one and then the second one it just like really settles in yeah i think the the, i think the first one leans into the cringe stuff a little more right exactly i think they just which, figure which it is, out which is fine but it's also just not the most interesting thing about what they do exactly like the most interesting thing about what they do is like you know the, the fucking f- full full hog assaults they put on you but look we don't need it but they there's an episode about lee russell going back home and encountering his family and they really they really do a perfect job setting up the distant father doting mother mother dichotomy Mm -hmm. that fuels guys like nixon anyway good job vice principals yeah if you're if you're going to watch vice principals i would i would advise you to hang in past the second episode the troubling second episode of the show oh yeah well i kind of <laughs> it's it's definitely very memorable but yeah. uh yeah and anyway and uh the second the second season is is very very good anyway uh jerry west back to this fucking jody hill character ass motherfucker oh, can you, I know, tell you, you know what jerry west is jerry west is like one of those second tier is like andy daly in uh eastbound and down or the or the other or the other or the history teacher and vice principals mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or jason schwartzman in uh in a righteous gemstones who's like uh who's like who's like incredibly successful but is also deeply self-pitying and fucked up anyway. yeah i agree yeah um i want to talk about the part where he talks about uh how we wanted to murder his dad oh sure yeah great all right um and he's he's again talking about joseph campbell and the hero's ordeal he says, even though he terrified me, I am ashamed of the fact that I could never forgive nor forget the horrible feelings I have towards him. This is his dad. At this point in my life, either I was going to die or he was. If I had actually pulled the trigger of the gun under my bed and killed him, I feel sure it would have been seen as a calculated act, as something that had been building and building for some time. I don't think the truth of my circumstances would have protected me, would have led to anyone's viewing it as self-defense. And he's like, yeah, if I'd done it, my life would have been over if I'd murdered my father. Mm-hmm. And it's weird that he's like, yeah, I think people would have thought it was premeditated that I took out a shotgun under my bed and killed my father. Yeah. And you know it, what? I think would have, I think they, would have I think people would have thought he was a murderer. <laughs> they they finally win the title in '72, and he feels really bad because all Jerry Taylor's, West's dad was Jerry's West's dad. He would always get drunk, and he would be like, "You'll never beat Bill Russell in the finals." <laughs> Is that dad? When, it, when Jerry West was 10. I'm going to kill you. There's a part where he talks about how Elgin Baylor, he felt bad about winning in 72 because Elgin Baylor couldn't be there. And he's like, Elgin Baylor went through all the same stuff as me, fought through injuries, all the blood and sweat. And I, I never told him. And it's been 50 years. I haven't told him that ever. 
this is unrelated, but I'm on it. We went out to eat a lot. Uh, uh, I always insisted on paying no matter how many people joined us. In fact, it is something I still do, though from time to time, people foil my attempts and it irritates me. Mm -hmm. On a couple of occasions, Michael Jordan has had the bill taken care of before we even got to the restaurant, mainly because he likes to mess with me and see me riled up, I think. Okay, two things. One, Michael Jordan's a billionaire. Like, money means nothing to him. You can let him pay for the dinner, Jerry. He's also he's also a winner. That's yeah, the other thing he can't winner. understand. That's the other thing. And although although I will say I do think that Jordan did do this to annoy Jerry West, and to that I say, uh, good on you, Michael Jordan. I gotta I gotta talk about his his one of his his first roommate uh, was named Baby Ray, uh-huh. and who uh, who tries to beat him up because Jerry opens the window in the middle of the night. Uh-huh. And he, he's reminded of this one thing. He says, we were roommates in St. Louis later that year, and I suggested a place we might go to dinner. Jerry, he said, I can't eat there, man. At first, naive as I was, I didn't know what he was talking about. In fact, I didn't even know that the year before, Elgin Baylor had refused to play in a game in Charleston, West Virginia, because the black players were told they couldn't stay at the hotel the team was supposed to stay at. And I, and so Jerry West in West Virginia had no idea that uh, yeah. there was any segregation. There might be some segregation going on. And his response is, "Hell, I'll go out and get some food for us and bring it back." Well, that's his. That's his. Yeah, way to go, man. Response to segregation. Way to go, dude. What a hero. How did this affect Jerry West? Well, I mean, it didn't. He didn't have as much personal rage towards uh, racism as he had towards communism. Toward the yeah, towards the communists. Russell, uh, th- 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 why did I write that? He also claims that Bill Russell hated Wilt Chamberlain because he wasn't on the floor at the end of the 69 finals. Yeah, I'm, he doesn't care. I think they reference. Frank Judkins, who works for the Hall. That's right, there's a guy named... Oh, Fran Judkins, pardon me. That Willis Reed thing might have made me angry. It's just like, yeah, Willis Reed played on a broken leg, but I had injections. And, oh, what a prick. By the way, this is how he he meets his current wife. Oh, thank you. Finally, uh, he sees he sees a cheerleader at Pepperdine. Got it. And He's makes his friend Gary Colson approach her. Uh, same way he makes him like, talk to his children. Tell him. <laughs> tell his, tell his children. Chil- tell his children he has a terminal disease. Mm-hmm. So uh, she doesn't want to hang out with him, but he. Uh, he makes her he makes her go out for a drink, and he's like, "I don't want to go with him. You have to bring your friend Gary." And he says she's only he thinks she's only interested in one thing. And I mean, he all he says is she's the most naturally beautiful woman he's ever seen. You know what? Can I be honest with you? Yeah, she is very pretty, but it's also like he's like, oh, she thought Jerry he was West only White interested in one thing, and it was like, well, you saw a, a pretty cheerleader and you asked her on a date without talking to her, so yeah. And then here's how she describes it. When she recalls our meeting, what she remembers most of all is I struck her as the saddest man she had ever met. I poured <laughs> my heart out to her about everything. <laughs> and probably, probably because she felt sorry for me, she eventually agreed to go out with me. I was still living with Jane at the time, but was desperate to move out. I asked Karen if she could help me find an apartment, but she was noncommittal, thinking to herself, I'm a senior in college, living in a dorm. What do I know about helping a grown man find an apartment? Eventually, Karen did no, help me. Eat. Yeah, she's, she, he talks about how she's Sicilian. Oh, yes, he does. She raises his kids and not him, apparently. Uh-huh. Uh, she seems very patient. Yep. 
Let's see. Mad about the divorce. I don't think he interviews his wife for this book, even though he talks about how the author's like, we have, we really have to talk to my ex-wife for this book, but it doesn't seem like she contributes at all. I mean, there's like, there's a point when, when he talks about the Lakers, there's, there's a bunch of people who basically like give him long statements, like Kareem and Mitch Kupchak, but a lot of people like aren't interviewed. Yeah. Would you, do you want to spend time with him? Um, and then he also just talks about how he's not cut out to be single because mm-hmm. he can't find an apartment by himself at yeah. 35. Yeah, because he's a because not because he's an enormous cut. You know what? Can I be honest? I also don't think I could find an apartment by yeah, myself. I, mean, I I guess I have done it, but I hated it. So I yeah. guess if I could make a cheer, I'm also a baby man like Jerry West. So <laughs> I mean, you you've made the hero's journey into a pile of shit. Okay, okay uh, here's another part that just annoyed me. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, hold on. Sorry. Corbin's turn. Bill Russell's a constant criticism for never signing autographs during all his years in uh, Boston. He does say that I he I don't mind signing autographs. What I mind is when the same people come up to you over and over again. Fair. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bill Russell's a constant criticism for never signing autographs during all his years at the Celtics. And I always respected his right to say no, even if I didn't entirely agree with it. I can't imagine fucking why. Yes. But then again, Bill's relationship with the fans in Boston was always fraught. They loved how he played. But they didn't particularly like how outspoken he was about race relations in Boston, the most racist city in the universe, and around the country. Uh, the Celtics were the first team to start five black players, and yet the Garden was filled with people from South Boston. People, <laughs> Papists. Uh, people whose last names were O'Shaughnessy and Rourke and McGrady. Irish Catholic to the core. When Bob Cousy retired, the city went, turn page. Into mourning. Nevertheless, Boston was a town that idolized the Bruins as the Celtics, despite all their championships. I always played second fiddle. I, on the other hand, always seemed to be a fan favorite. Oh, part, weird. Part of the reason, I guess, was the way I played, giving my all each and every night. Yeah, that was the reason. Yeah, and part of it was also because I was white. Uh, nobody literally, and part of that was no doubt because I was white. I, uh, I've heard that I was the most popular visiting player ever to compete in Madison Square Garden and Boston Garden. Johnny Most, the Celtics announcer, called me Gentleman Jerry, though perhaps he was suddenly mocking me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, definitely. You, don't, you think that was authentic? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, but that didn't stop people from heckling <laughs> us. Kids would meet our play to New York and yell that Walt Frazier was going to shut me down and that Willis Reed was going to make sure that Wilt would suffer all game long and regret staying and regret not staying home. Hell yeah. Shout out to those New York fans. Uh, bing bong, you guys. Bing bong. Yeah, bing bong. All right, we're done. And we're done with this part. But yeah, the part where he goes, I was a fan favorite. Probably because I played so hard. Yeah, probably that was, that was the reason. Maybe because I was Boston. Well, and now from... I'm not going to continue talking about that. I'm a... I, I, the way he doesn't follow through with things is mad. Also, oh God. The, the, him him being like, call me Gentleman Jerry, who's probably making fun of me. Yes. So fuck off. No, he wasn't. <laughs> you were such a little fucking golden boy. <laughs> they put you... Okay. Oh, yeah. And Okay, look. So there's Gentleman Jerry. There's Mr. Clutch, a, t- a title he got even though he lost in the finals over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's like calling it's like calling a fat guy tiny. Yes, but not. I mean, he hit one half court shots. He got he let's see he got a fucking um 
Uh, he got a finals MVP, even though he lost once. He, uh, uh, let's see, I, I, I talked about Mr. Clutch already, right? Uh, oh, and he's the logo, and he's the NBA logo. He's the NBA logo. Even though, once again, he spent the 60s getting his fucking ass beat. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like over, like, that's a sort of, that's so central to this, is that, uh, to my irritation with him. Is that this guy was such a fucking little golden boy, and he has the fucking nerve to write a book where he's like, everything was so hard. I'm still tormented by those losses. And it's, it is like you know, unbridled we, success. And it's like we talk about greatness well, and also how many championships they won. Well, please right? trust me. It was Lawford. There's a lot of these great players. Um, if they didn't play okay, with so the right people. They I wouldn't hate that win he doesn't follow up with certain things. There's a point when he talks about. Um, how violent the game was, and specifically towards Wilt Chamberlain. In one altercation, Clyde Lovellette elbowed Wilt in the mouth and messed up Wilt's teeth so bad he never fully recovered. It took a long time to get Wilt riled up to even retaliate against anybody, but he did exact his measure of revenge on Lovellette. No follow-up. Yeah, well, he fucked his wife. Yeah. <laughs> he also claims that Wilt Chamberlain did that. not have sex with 20,000 women because... Wilt's sister went to the house once and he didn't find any, like, hair ties. Also, he secretly wants to play for Boston. He talks about Boston trying to draft him and trading him when they got the coach, and it's like, in he fairness, wants in it fairness, so bad. The city of Boston would have really liked Jerry West. Sounds like they already did. Whenever I think about Kareem, I regret the way I dealt with him as a coach. Eventually becomes a coach of the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Wow. To this day, I feel bad about how, that I said he didn't play hard enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a point when 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 Kareem's like, yeah, I was in the top five in points and uh, rebounds and block shots. Yeah. And uh, because I wasn't slapping the floor, my coach uh, wasn't satisfied. He's like, I also had won like three out of the last four MVP awards. Mm hmm. The other thing about this is that Kareem doesn't try hard enough with some shit that they said about Kareem his entire fucking career. And um, I think if you ask Kareem, he might say, oh, yeah, that probably had something to do with uh, race. Yeah, Um, because I had a uh, 22-year career and um, scored a million points. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and here's Jerry West literally saying, yeah, I regret the way I am. Said the racist thing about Kareem that people always said, <laughs> but he doesn't put it in any context. Can I kind of tell you he does hate old Lakers owner Jack Kent Cook. I did get behind Jerry West when he kind of for no reason says it's one of the things like reasons I've always been curious about the royal family in England. What the hell have they ever done to make people feel like servants? Yeah, uh, they didn't lose in the final six times. <sighs> All right, now we're okay. Have we talk? Okay, we're talking about Jerry West and race. Sorry, I know that this is sloppier than it needs to be. Corbin's had a lot of opinions about this for a long time because he's lived with this fucking book in his bones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he just spends all this time being like, I don't know why people kept fucking complimenting me all the time. I just have no idea. I don't know. I hated myself. Boo, boo, boo. <laughs> um. And um, and doesn't ever substantially confront the fact that is because he was white never, and never. And the, the other thing about it is that like, and you know, and he t- says over and over, man, damn, I felt bad that I, uh, 
didn't do anti-racism. Fuck. Shit. Yeah, this guy really held me, and it was tough on him. I, I regret never saying anything. Oh, ever. yeah, but, you know, that just wasn't the kind of guy I was. Uh-huh. I just like to endorse things and uh, tell people uh, who to I trade. Oh, and I hated it when rich guys were mad at me. Yeah. Um, um, just, like, everything about this is just like, oh, I was a sniveling little coward. Well, it's just weird that he's sort of like, just describing things about his personality as these immutable things yes, that are exactly. stories about him being that an aren't asshole. that like and like but he's still contextualizing himself as the hero mm-hmm. that he's still like I I went on a hero's journey um even though I lost a bunch and I and I didn't do anything about the most important things that were going on in America at the time right and I always deferred and i and i always wanted to defer to the fucking rich guys who were paying me i always uh i i i clearly and presently took advantage of any opportunity that my race could have granted me yes and when and when the lakers played a black player more than me i retired from yes when i found out that wilt chamberlain made more money than me he retired from basketball. Yeah, Wilt Chamberlain, by the way. Jerry uh, West was like, I was only making a quarter of a million dollars in 1974, and the owner had uh, assured me that I was still the most special boy, <laughs> but then he secretly paid Wilt Chamberlain more because Wilt Chamberlain was a lot better, but he knew he couldn't yeah, tell me Will about Cham- it because, because I'd retire from basketball. seven feet, one inch tall and made of fucking nightmares. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's that is why Jerry West retired from the NBA. I did. I don't think that you know, <laughs> Kareem needed to try harder. I don't know what I have no. I've spent my entire life playing and being around the NBA, and I have absolutely no idea of my own privilege at all. How many and how look, many MVP awards does Jerry West have, by the way? No, too many. I mean, no league MVPs. Kareem has six. Yeah. So you know, um. I want to share something that Magic Johnson. I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not done. Go, go, keep going. I'm not done bitching about this. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's okay. He's like a guy. The only thing he mentions about like the 60s and politics and upheaval or anything is that it seemed like in the late 60s, women were more willing to have sex with him. Or that, or that, you know, some of these black guys I knew, they were really putting their necks on the line. But also, um, Learning how he met his wife, clearly Jerry West is spending a long time, like, going to basketball games and just telling other people to get women for him. Now, that is not a unique I mean, you do, that com- you do that at comedy clubs, so let's not. That is true. That's true. I'm like, hey, bouncer, <laughs> see if that girl's got a boyfriend. I was gonna, I was gonna try to think of a specific San Francisco comedian. Hey, Brent Weinbach. <laughs> oh, Weinbach would be, um, Shang Wang. Oh, yeah. Keen wants to talk to you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He'd be terrible at it. Kamau, uh, Kamau. I need to get yeah, over Kamau would uh, laugh in my face. That's what, that's what would happen there. In a fun, in a fun <laughs> way. Really like Bill Russell laughs at Jerry West, like two buddies. <laughs> it would be a haunting noise if you associate it with all your greatest failures. Kamau does have... Let's say that. Um, no, but like... It's just like over and over. He's just, he, and he just won't fucking say, yeah, I was a fucking coward. He just says, there's just something in my nature that makes it so that I can't do things like that. And it fucking gets back to the Trump thing. 
Because, oh, yeah. Because, okay, for those who don't know, Jerry West, okay, in, I don't know, 19, 2019, I think. I, Deadspin was still open, so I was, because I wrote about it for them. Uh, Donald Trump awarded Jerry West the Medal of Freedom. Now, never mind the fact that Jerry West is not particularly, like, a charitable person, <laughs> or, and also lost in the finals a bunch of times, and, um, and all this shit. Um, at this time, every NBA team was refusing to go to the White House after they won the NBA championship. All of them. Every one of them. Nobody went and saw Trump, uh, after they won the NBA title. None of them. None. Zero. Fucking none. Uh, and, uh, and this probably irked Trump, but he knew that Jerry West would be a little, uh, deferent to authority, uh, whiny little crybaby. And that even though the entire rest of the league, where he has made like several livings, had rejected this full out, he was like, yeah, sure, I'll fucking go. Oh, sure. I'd love to get in the Medal of Freedom. I love compliments. Mm-hmm. I, and that's the fucking thing about this over and over and over is that this fucking guy keeps getting complimented, even though he is, frankly, something of an underachiever. He keeps getting complimented and he keeps getting plaudits and like. People keep fucking gargling his fucking balls and he might spend a second considering that possibly it has something to do with his race, but he doesn't fucking do anything about it. He, he This is an entire book about what a little fucking coward he is, but he doesn't come. But like, I would almost respect it more if he just said, if he just fucking said, no, I was scared of rich people and I was and I wanted other white people to like me. Mm-hmm. And this like, was safer to protect the 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 cars and clothes I've been bragging about throughout this entire yes, book. Fucking exactly. Like I like he he doesn't acknowledge that he got all this <laughs> in part because he was fucking white. But he did. And he and he and like there is a type of NBA player who's come after him who is like latched on to this fucking strategy of being like, look, I just get out there and fucking grind, baby. I don't think about bullshit. And like, and they've, and they have wrote it to the same kinds of success. I think, you know, I think bird did this to a degree, but bird had the decency to, to sort of recognize it to some degree. Um, but yeah, I, it's yeah. gross. It's fucking gross. And like, that was the thing about this book that drove me up a wall is that it is a honest telling of what a neurotic he is, mm-hmm. but he doesn't feel the need to put that in any broader context at all. And it's, it's gross. Well, it's so a lot of this book and it's, there will be people who are asked to just give like an un, just, just give a quote. You know what I mean? Like it's, we get, we get like paragraphs from Magic Johnson and Magic Johnson, a relentlessly positive guy, still says, I hope that doing this book is a kind of therapy for Jerry West because he really needs therapy. And it's just like, yeah, uh, I, I get worried when Jerry doesn't have a job in basketball because it seems like his life falls apart. Um, and these are things that Jerry West is like, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, magic. Best point. He respond, he follows it up with like, yeah, I guess magic was also a perfectionist. And, um, I want to read you these rules that Mitch Kupchak said about dealing with Jerry West when he was his boss. Number mm-hmm. one, let Jerry drive and follow his own route. 
Understand that he is superstitious and will avoid traffic lights whenever possible. Again, I can't believe there is not any follow-up to this. Like, describe your superstitions. What does that mean when you're avoiding traffic lights in Los Angeles? Like, is he going through residential areas? Like, he he makes four or five references. Okay, He's actually I'm, kind of driving like Manson did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number two, let Jerry pick the restaurant and let him order. If Jerry says the food is no good, don't try to say otherwise. Eat fast or he will eat, get act so irritated that you will wish you had. Number three, don't be late. Except that he was always in a hurry to get somewhere and that once he's there, he's in a hurry to leave. Which is funny and also, uh, terrible. Yeah. So let me, um, <laughs> let me tell you this crazy story about him at a restaurant, uh, which doesn't, it, it's so weird. Um, so they went to a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse mm-hmm. and there's like 15 people there. And Jerry says, I happen to know a lot about steaks because I am in charge of cooking them for large family dinners. So on this night at the restaurant, my steak came out, and the minute I cut into it, I could tell it was raw. The second time, it was well done, and the third time, it was raw again. I told the waiter not to bother trying anymore, that I would eat it the way it was. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I forgot about this. The manager said he wasn't going to charge me, and I said that not only did I want them to charge me for my meal, but I would never come back again if they didn't. I didn't want them to cook me a new steak because my instinct told me on this particular occasion they weren't going to get it right. When the bill came, I grabbed it, as I always do, and despite what I told them, I couldn't believe they'd charge me for the steak. I suddenly got up from the table and walked out. No one knew if I was coming back or not. I left the restaurant and was gone for about five minutes. When I reappeared, I had four brown paper bags, and each one was a cheesecake I had gotten from another restaurant, and I spread them out on the table, which I am pretty sure is not even a legal thing to do. That... I guess, was my weird, defiant way at getting back at Ruth's Chris for screwing up my steak. Is that a rational thing to do? No, of course it isn't. I am sure something else was bothering me, and I misdirected my feelings about it towards the steakhouse. (laughs) I mean, that is insane! That's insane. I'll never come back again unless you charge me for the steak. They charge me for the steak. These motherfuckers. I'm buying four (laughs) cheese steaks. The happiest day, he says the happiest day of his life was when he signed Shaq, his, who would have been his best friend. How many kids does he have? <laughs> Five? Yeah. Well, he says aside from the birth of him. Um, he also. Can we, can we, can we be honest though? Mm-hmm. He didn't mean it. Um, and then he skips out on the 50 greatest players of the league's 50 years thing in 97, and he claims it's because he had surgery for a deviated septum, but he actually didn't go because the NBA looked into tampering allegations for Shaq. Oh, yeah! And then... And he, yeah, because he was so mad that they were ever... So there is a much... Tampering. Come the fuck on, Jerry. Okay, so let me just give you First one First off, he totally tip. tampered with Shaq. Second... Well, he goes to uh, the Hall of Fame, and uh, uh, they're, they're inducting... They're inducting Jerry Buss into the Basketball Hall of Fame. He was a really great basketball person. <laughs> He goes to the Hall of Fame, and uh, Jer- Jerry Buss, um, he confronted him. He confronted Jerry Buss because Jerry Buss, he thought, said that Jerry West was taking too much credit for building the the Lakers when Bill Sharman was also involved. And so they had a confrontation, and he, he brought it up, and Jerry Buss said, 
Um, he denied it, and he didn't have hurt feelings. And then he shows up in the Hall of Fame, and uh, he and Magic are both supposed to induct Jerry Buss. So when he shows up, um, that and he looks at the program, and he's not on the list of presenters. I told the producer for NBA TV that there must have been some mistake, but I didn't press the issue. And he's so mad. He goes back to his hotel room, and he just stays in there the whole weekend. He's also getting—the 1960 Olympic team is also getting inducted. So he stays there and he doesn't answer the phone. God, I can't. Why? Don't induct the Olympic team. I do know now. You know what? What? Go ahead. They should only induct the non-American Olympic teams. They kind of, yeah, yeah, that's true. No. The 72 Russian team. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's what he says. He's so mad. He's perplexed. He's mad for this whole weekend and he won't talk to anywhere or leave the hotel room. I do know now that had I picked up the phone in my room... I would have learned that neither the Lakers nor Jerry Buss had anything to do with the mix-up, that it was an honest error on the part of, of NBA TV, and the Hall of Fame and everyone felt terrible about it. But I didn't pick up the phone, and as a result, it took me days to get over it, it ruined my times there, and my sons were incredibly upset with it. This is a lunatic, Corbin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? Say what you love Michael Jordan. He's not, an, he's not like a weird anhedonist, you know? Mm-hmm. Isn't like pick little things to you compartmentalize. Anyway, look, we could talk all day about Jordan's psychology. Speaking of psychology, I, you know, I think I've covered most of the major stuff. Yes. I, but there's one thing that we have to talk about. Uh huh. It's Phil Jackson. Oh yes, yes. Phil Jackson part is amazing. <laughs> it's incre- it's incredible. Uh, let me pull up Skype again. <clears throat> so one of the problems I had with Phil was this. So they hire Phil Jackson because the Lakers fucking suck. Uh, and they're like, yeah, maybe we should hire a good coach. And they hired Phil Jackson, who's a very good coach. Do you think Phil Jackson's the best NBA coach, Keen? Yeah. I mean, I guess. I think, Pop- I think Popovich did more with less, but. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's very hard to argue with. I mean, like, Phil's also a crazy person, but, um. But not. Like I mean, the exact there's, there's, opposite kind of crazy person, Jerry. Yeah, and there's there's something to be said for um I will I will say that like talent wise, um Phil Jackson did receive a lob from Jerry West, but uh he Phil Jackson basically completes all his lobs, I would say, yeah. in a way that many other coaches. Yeah. Like Auerbach is like it just feels like it's a different thing that's yeah. going on, and yeah, Bill Russell. Auerbach Auerbach was Auerbach was a GM. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he was really good at getting players. And like, he had a lot of fill in him in that he liked weird psychological mind games and also laughing at people. Um, something that Phil Jackson really likes too. Um, yeah, but but yeah, yeah, the Phil Jackson's great. And um, okay, Jerry so what is Jerry West? Go ahead, sorry. So what are the pro? I mean, you know, we talked about it earlier. Like he's like Carl's exact opposite because he's because he he actually understands people. He's always trying to. So I was trying to work people like that's what he's good at. In case you haven't been able to tell, Jerry West is uh, not as good at that. Um, so one of the problems I had with Phil was this. His office was right near mine. And when he would arrive in the morning, he would walk right past and never even bother to wave or duck his head in to say hello. He would later say that he felt the need to stake out his territory, that on top of that, he was a whack job. But I'm pretty sure it was more than that. More than 10 years, uh, uh, I, I had some experience with things like this. More than 10 years earlier, Pat Riley, 
uh, wanting more and more autonomy and power, even wrote a letter to Jerry Buss suggesting that he could coach and do my job at the same time. Uh, pretty funny. Uh, I guess he did do that a few times, though. Good job, Pat Riley. Um, the reason I know about the letter is that Jerry showed it to me. The difference was this. Pat and I were close and had a long history together. Phil and I had no relationship. None. He didn't want me around, and he had absolutely no respect for me. Of that, I have no doubt. Uh, Tex Winter, who created the triangle offense and coached with Phil for years, has spoken about this in an oral history of the team. Pretty funny. Uh, in fact, Phil even threw me out of his locker room once, an incident <laughs> that no one other than uh, Bill Burkta and Mitch and Tex really want to talk about. After a game, uh, Mitch and I would uh, wait outside the locker room until the coach was finished talking to the players. And occasionally we would go in and we would talk to them individually. On the occasion I speak of, I honestly thought that Phil was finished addressing the team. And so I walked in. As soon as I did, Phil barked, <laughs> Jerry, get the fuck out. I'm not finished here yet. <laughs> and I immediately backed away red-faced. I have never intruded on a coach's territory in that way. And I uh, never... And I vowed that I would never go in there again, and I didn't. With my personality, I wasn't going to have a confrontation with Phil. With my incredibly out-of-control, broken personality. Uh, I wasn't going to lower myself and get into a pissing contest with him. Phil's recollection is different. He says he didn't know who it was. That he didn't call my name, but this is my version. Corroborated by text Bill and Mitch, and I'm sticking to it. I mean, um, I'm sure... I'm sure Phil Jackson said no here, but he might have just been flashing back and I agree. to Jerry I agree. Krause. Here's the, thing. Here's the thing. Phil Jackson has the presence of mind to know that um, other people shouldn't know that he did that. Right. <laughs> uh, my decision to leave the Lakers at the end of the 2000 season, the season we won our first championship since 1988, was not tied in with or about any one thing. I didn't leave because of Phil Jackson and my non-existent relationship with him. Though if I had known the degree to which he didn't want me around, I would have left shortly after he arrived. Huh, huh. I didn't leave because of a disastrous meeting that had been in a hotel in Santa Barbara at the beginning of the season of training camp until the previous autumn. A meeting involving Glenn Rice and his agent uh, that not only revealed a distressing lack of communication between Jerry Buss, Mitch, and me. By the uh, way, can I can just do – yeah, yeah, he, he refers to this Glenn Rice meeting twice and gives no details whatsoever. It's it's completely unclear what happened that made him upset. Yeah. Uh, anyway, blah 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 blah. He it wasn't because of Phil. People were worried about my health, my physical, emotional, and mental health, and so was I. And one particularly howering weekend in Phoenix in April of 1999, Karen wrote Karen his wife. Uh, wrote uh, Jerry Buss a letter, a letter I didn't know she had written at the time and only recently learned about. April 17, 1999. Dear Jerry, however inappropriate this letter may seem, I am not one to keep silent. I think I think you need to be aware of what is going on in the West household, whether it matters to you or not. I spent, I just spent three most painful days of my life with Jerry in Phoenix. As I am a positive that you, as I am positive that you know, my husband is a very tormented individual. The greatest source of his torment in the last few years has been the Lakers. That I am sure you also know. But he seemed to have overcome that torment when the two of you worked things out over the last summer. I made him promise that he would be happy staying with the Lakers before he agreed to a contract extension. Uh, and he was raring to go. As long as Jerry was happy, I was happy. Well, everything has gone to hell. 
<laughs> he is a man that if he were suicidal would be gone. The fact that some major decisions have been made that he did not agree with and that this once most respected team is now, he says, laughing, the laughing stock of the league has put him in a downward spiral that is almost as self-destructive as Rodman. I left Phoenix yesterday morning knowing that my life would never be this. On Wednesday, Jerry told me that the only things he cares about in the world are our children, me, and the Lakers. On Thursday, after, on Thursday evening after the Rodman release, uh, he told me, that when we got to back to L.A., he was leaving the Lakers and he was leaving us. As much as my children live and die for the Lakers and how the Lakers have been our life, I don't care if I never hear another word about them. I've been hearing for two years from Jerry that he was never going to resign. They can't take it anymore. They basically never go. And it, and it basically goes in one ear and out the other. And 21 years of a marriage. He has never said that he would leave his family. Never! I love my husband very much, and I love my family very much, and he will just devastate us if he leaves. He's on such a self-destructive path, war path, I don't know where it leads. I think that you and he need to sit down for a long, friendly talk. Just thought you should know. Sincerely, Karen. Wow. That is that is really something. Also, Jerry West at one point says, people talking about suicide, he says, people say it's a coward's way out. I say it's just the opposite. It takes courage. Yeah, that's right. That's why he's alive, right? Because he's a coward. <laughs> he says that committing suicide takes courage. He clearly does not have that. Once again, Karen steals suicide valor in this letter, too. She does. She does. Yeah. Also, yeah. It, 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 he, by his own admission, he's threatening to quit the Lakers in 1986. He's also threatening to quit the Lakers at the end of the 70s. Yeah. Like, at a certain point... Don't you just think threatening to quit is something Jerry West does all the time? Yeah. I can't believe he threatened to leave his family because of the Dennis Rodman signing. <laughs> because, because Phil was mean to him. And because Phil was mean to him. Okay, but here's how here's how masterful Phil Jackson is. Phil Jackson gets to this organization. Jerry West is the golden boy. And uh, he's got this whole network. First, he shows up and uh, immediately... Kurt Rambis is incredibly angry because he's been the temporary coach. Uh, we can, we can, we can kind of wrap up here, but the, here's oh. what happened with Phil Jackson when he got to the Lakers. Jerry West is this institution in Los Angeles. He's been working there forever. First thing he does is, uh, he makes him fire Kurt Rambis. Mm -hmm. Kurt Rambis, whose wife is, uh, best friends with the owner's daughter. And yeah. very good friends with Jerry's own Look, wife. Look, we can I we can spend a lot of time talking about Kurt Rambis's wife. Yeah, but who, um, but, who was also it should be said like Pat Riley's soldier in the war on everyone on that team's emotions. Oh yeah, yeah, still still a still a crucial um figure in the Lakers organ. Um, honestly, Kurt Rambis, according to our good friend uh, Lakers Paladin, the secret the secret force behind and uh, Rambis is just. Um, yeah. But okay, so they, so he manages to alienate, um, re, you know, a, a great organizational ally. Sorry, sorry, he from Jerry West. Phil, Phil mm -hmm. separate drives a wedge between the Rambis family and Phil Jackson, and then starts dating uh, the owner's daughter, Pimp. also Rambis's best King friend. King shit, king so, shit. And a year later, Jerry West is just gone. Yeah. Like, that is, that is like a lion killing all the young males in the pack. 
when he takes over for dominance. Hell yeah. That is like, it's so fast. And he just makes Jerry quit, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even fired. And Jerry fucking insists, like... like... I mean, he probably saw Jerry West and was like, this guy's fucking... Yeah, this guy's... A... <laughs> like, we're, we're ready to win here. Um, <laughs> look, Jerry West is a very good general manager, but seems like a crazy mm. person to deal with. I or... think that... I think that no general manager is that good at his job. I mean, he... I mean, he, he inherited... He had... He got Magic Johnson... <laughs> for a team Harden, that already Harden, had Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Somehow a team that had Kareem Abdul Jabbar got the first pick in the draft in 1980 and 1982, Somehow. thanks to Bill Sharman. Somehow. Damn. So, you know, trading for Byron Scott, that was a good move. Getting AC Green, that was a good move. Drafting Vlade, that was a good Yeah. But, trading uh, Jack, good move. Yeah, and he's... he's he, he but, you know, but, 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 like... Um, but he seems like a nightmare to work with on a daily basis. Yeah. 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 So... Yeah. Also, also the genius. He he talks about how how inappropriate it was for Phil to write that book, slamming Kobe, and and ripping on him after that after that uh Malone stock the Malone uh Peyton season. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then uh, and then he's like so mad that the Lakers just hire Phil a year later anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like one guy is playing uh understands like human beings. Uh, the other one, uh... yeah, not so much. Yeah, I wanna. I think I. I think I've read everything that I feel like I really need to read in this. Oh, but yeah, I. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I just want to. The end of the Phil Jackson chapter is. There's one line that I really want to read. I may be many things, but a braggart I am not. That is not who I am, and that was never the case ever. And look. I, that's probably true to some degree, but like, does it really matter if literally everybody who's ever been around you will brag on your behalf, mm-hmm. and then you'll be like, bah, 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 I don't know, okay, blah, blah, blah. you know what I mean? It doesn't matter if he's not a bragger if yeah. everybody in the u- fucking universe is like, is like just is just like, you know, going out of their way to be like. Well, then he oh, also talks God. about how he doesn't care about praise, and it makes him like getting praised up. Yeah. Uh, I just want to read you one more thing, yeah. and that is that, um, well, well, okay, two more things. The night before his son Johnny left for college, in front of everybody at the dinner table, I badgered him about the importance of being competitive. He wound up telling me, Dad, shut the hell up, which I secretly admired him for doing. At least I got a rise out of him. The, the night before he left for college in West Virginia... Jerry West just berated him, and he also says, uh, if you ask my wife if I'm happy, she will tell you by nature I am not, and she will also tell you that she is convinced that if, for whatever reason, I ever decided to end things and leave her, I would move forward and not look back. You know, because he did that to marry her in the first place. All I can or will say in response to that is this. If a person, any person, ever decides they need to leave, then they should go. I know that sounds harsh, but that's how I feel. Yeah, he ghosted uh, his wife of uh, 15 years. But the thing I wanted to end with is his kids call him Cement Head. And he claims that's because there's never a hair out of place on his head. And that is not what Cement Head means. What does it mean? You're dumb. Oh, okay. Right? Is that what yeah. Cement Head means? Or that nothing gets through your head. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean... Uh, <laughs> no, you say what someone's hair wears a lot of hairspray. Come on now.
All right. Well, this was somewhat cathartic, and yet I'm still actually angrier about Jerry West than when we started. Slightly. I will say it was nice that he signed the mansion letter. Oh, yeah. That, he probably, that, was, that was good. He, he probably just did it because he's... Right. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, he, he is. And Nick Saban just, Nick Saban just bullied him into it. He was yeah. like, oh, he's, he's probably richer and more powerful than me. He, he, I gotta, he I gotta do whatever they say. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't even really need to bully him that much. He said, West! Uh, he's like, uh, yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Saban. So confident. Oh, no. Thankfully, he didn't know that Joe Manchin was also rich. Yeah. Else that would have been really hard for he's him. like, oh, damn it. Oh, he's I'm the king of coal? There's He's actually, a point in this I, book where Jerry what, West just casually mentions how he could have go to West Virginia and become. Yeah, it's weird. But um, uh, yeah, people would have been drawn to my winning personality and my and my wealth of opinions about politics I have. Um, oh, oh yeah, he's given like I will say he's given like a fuck ton of money to Joe Manchin, Hold on. like like a remarkable amount. Yeah, so maybe maybe this letter will be Jerry yeah. West's first moment of political activism. In his, yeah. his 83 year life. We hey, streaks gotta break some. Yeah. <laughs> um, Corbin, thank you for talking uh, to Jerry West. I you were right you for, all along about this. I'm sorry, I doubted you for even a second. Yeah, thank you, thank you to everybody. Look to everybody out there who fucking roasts my fucking chestnut about 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 this. Please know he stinks. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, look. Successful, sure, but like, ooh, just a void. It's that yeah, real man. hungry, yeah, empty. Man. Just a, the, 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 our, our, uh, he's a hungry ghost. He is a hungry ghost, that is exactly it. He's a fucking hungry ghost manifested into a man. And I, and I, I just, look, I just don't think that he should be the standard bearer for NBA excellence, especially because in addition to being a hungry ghost who, devoured the cheers of white people he also lost in the finals eight times <laughs> to the same team six times mm. and then to the other same team the other two times yeah uh-huh <laughs> well all right corbin do you have anything you'd like to play? i'm doing turtle pond hangout again it's a new feed right yeah okay so is it is it on apple podcast yet i don't think so what was funny was yesterday i looked for it to see if it had a and I got I got the you know the the old feed, uh-huh. and then the next suggestion to Turtle Pond Hangout was uh, QAnon Anonymous. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Yeah, I was like, uh, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. No, and uh, oh, and uh, Caterpillar Steps is my oh, it's it newsletter. It's, no, it hasn't posted. Yeah, Soon. It, it it never changed on Apple. You have to resubmit. I'll put it in. Look, it I in the had it. I had to delete all my podcasts, so. That's what you do. I gotta say, now that I'm saying this out loud, maybe the autobiography I write would also <laughs> reveal some sort of unsavory things about me. So maybe I shouldn't be too hard on Jerry. Well, you'd, you'd be less racist. Oh, thank you. That's kind of you to say. Just sort of, actually, he's not really racist as much no, as he is not. the he's worst not. ally. Yeah, yeah, so he's a completely fucking useless ally. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, do you have anything to plug, Sean? Yeah, not really. Okay. I'll be doing uh You down at Rooster Tea Feathers. No, I'm uh what am I doing? I'm gonna... I don't have anything I don't have anything uh specific upcoming. I'm at the punchline a lot. Mm-hmm. Rooster Tea Feathers is not reopened yet. I don't know wow. if they're gone for I mean at this point 
I don't, I don't know if they're. I can't believe, I can't believe Mr. Feathers is calling it quits. Um, he's actually, he's actually Dr. Feathers. I mean, I like Rizzo. It's weird, but fun. But, mm. uh, I, I don't think they are surviving. They're not owned by a big corporation. They're just owned by, uh, a person. Rooster T. Feather. Yeah. Well, it's Mrs. T. Feathers now. Oh, pardon. The oh, widow. The widow, the widow feather. The widow feathers. Ah. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah, but you can you can read my stuff at goldenstateofmind.com. Oh. Vox Media. I'm sick of things to say about Andrew Wiggins, but I will I, like I will not, prevail. Just wait, like he's nice. He's a nice boy. Hey, he's a good guy. Oh, uh, he didn't get vaccinated. He did. He eventually did. Well, yeah, when they made him. Yeah. That's fine. And I mean, even then he was care. like, damn, I hope nothing happens to me in ten years. He said that. You know he that? Did, he did. He carries an EpiPen with him. But, you know. Just uh, hopefully I'll be okay in ten years. That's what he fucking said. Mm-hmm. He thinks we're all going to sprout fucking tentacles in ten years. I'm like, eh, I, don't, I don't really care if he's uh, weird about it. He got it done. He wears a mask and stuff. He's not. The thing is, he's not like a dick. He's just, um, he seems he seems to be worried about himself. But he's not like. He's not like stop the steal, you know. Mm-hmm. This is more like too many alg- YouTube algorithm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like Andrew Wiggins is. Who knows? But uh, look, he, look, if the vaccine can turn you into a forty percent three point shooter, I mean, what's your problem? Get the vaccine. You'll you'll become not a bust anymore. Well, you'll still be a bust. A different it's, kind. It's, it's too good to be a bust, unfortunately. Well, the thing is, it's not even that. It's just that there's much larger busts than him. Like, the guy who got picked ahead of him has been out of the league for, like... God, Joe Manchin's the worst. He's pretty bad. You know, I in reading about Jerry West, it is hard not to be reminded of Joe Manchin, because mm-hmm. he's a particular... favorite sons of the state. Yeah, because he's a particular and sensitive little... Little, uh... Little, ang- little anger boy... Jerry West loves the. Oh, he loves you know it. why? Because well, no, he, he does calls somebody he on the said, phone. He talks for an hour. Apparently, yeah. I mean, in fairness, he, he apparently said that they should. He did write a letter saying, that, "Fine, whatever. All right, I've already talked too long. Thank you for having me, Sean. Hey, thanks for doing the show. This is great. Uh, follow Corbin at Corbin A. Smith. Yep. And Caterpillar Steps. On Instagram. I actually, my Instagram's actually good. My Twitter's bad. What, what is, your, is it also Corbin A. Smith? It's Corbin A. Dot Smith. Oh, it's Joey Dot. Mm-hmm. Who's Corbin A. Smith? What? Is it the, is it the man? Is it? Yeah, there's a picture of a dude wearing a shirt, kind of sitting on the ground, and it's captioned what trash looks like. I assume that's him. Uh, but his most recent picture is just a hat with what looks like a marijuana bud wearing a baseball cap. And then there's glasses on it, and it says, My hat thinks she is people. A photo from eight years ago. I don't know if you can get this. I kind of, I kind of I like this guy, i got to say. Oh, it looks like Sally Forever got some good notices over on Rotten Tomatoes. Wait, is this a picture of you? What? Corbin A. Smith without a dot? I don't is know. This you? It might be. I think this is your old Instagram, Corbin. Oh, shit. Katie that Ray is my America old Instagram. Bewitched? So you actually uh, have Corbin A. Smith without a dot. But, yeah, I just But the regular one is like a historical document. I was yeah, just going to wow, say, it seems like you and this fuck. guy would get along, and this is this is you. Oh, fuck. I don't remember this at all. Oh, this is 
an amazing discovery. I can't I also, believe this happened at the end of the podcast. We'll follow there. at Corbin A. Smith without a dot. Is, oh, I forgot about the picture of the uh, – somebody made a quilt with all the U.S. presidents on it. Yeah, that's a good one. I, oh. I love that quilt. The picture me taking is Perry. great. American Perrier. A lot of animals. This is on oh. brand. Nice picture of Caitlin with uh, Nerf darts on her glasses. And actually, your feet are in a big bucket at one. It mm-hmm. it's, doesn't seem like it isn't. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, oh, well, it's C H I L L Y. This is incredible, oh. Corbin. This is a this is a good totally historical document. Everybody needs. To, I'm following this right now. Yeah. I, it is yeah. weird to see you clean shaven, dude. I have to say. Yeah, I yeah, I used to I used to shave seasonally. Uh huh. Then I stopped. Good looking guy. Thank you. That's kind of you, I suppose. All right. Uh, that's it. All right. Thanks, Corbin. Bye. 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 Love you, Patreons. Bye. And, and regular listeners, maybe. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.